poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Today is a villager-driven episode, and I'm joined by one Humberto Jimenez, who has been a member of the village for a year, year and a half, high-level player, well-respected. Everybody loves him at PPH. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys where sometimes you call and sometimes you raise and sometimes you fold um, you know, the, the randomizing type of human beings. Uh, Humberto, welcome to the pod. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing quite well. That's, that, that was quite an aggressive. Um, good that, that you're feeling over there. Excited to, uh, to have you. It's been a long time coming. Um, I'm sure that in the future, we will most likely be partnering up for more episodes um down the line i'm excited to see your trajectory as a poker player and your career as it you know keeps on going into the future hopefully um but yeah let's uh starting out the show typically start with the story of how you came to be a professional poker player like what does your journey into the world of poker look like um so i started playing uh in high school maybe my sophomore year and this is probably maybe i was 14 and 2009 and i was i learned german for four years because i didn't know that you could take other electives i just picked this one and <laughs> that was it they're, they're called electives for a reason humberto you elect to take them right isn't that it's in the word i just my brother learned german and, and so i just took what he took and then i didn't know that there was a list of other things you could take but anyway that's what brought me here so i'm happy <laughs> german uh, so so your german uh schooling how the heck did you go from german to poker um there was a kid in there from germany he wasn't an exchange student um and he taught me and my friend how to play and we would play for play chips and i remember for the first maybe half year asking him if a straight beat a flush several times um and eventually we started playing for money and i was quite scared of even like losing a dollar we'd play heads up sit and goes and uh then after high school uh, i started playing in a one-two home game uh, but before um, we we go into your home game how's your german these days nick so good not which so means good. not so not so good yeah not so good so Effectively, you elected to take poker in, in, in place of German, which I think has proven to be a pretty good move for you. Yeah, I, I actually, our teacher just let us play all the time. It was kind of, kind of strange. I actually failed German 3, and she let me go into German 4. Wow. She, she must have been very interested in poker, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she didn't care very much about her career, <laughs> one, one or the other. Um, but you, you went to a home game. Like a one-two home game, right? Yeah. Um, so this was in college. Uh, I went to a community college around where I lived and just found out through a classmate. Um, and I had about a thousand to my name, and I took a hundred dollars to this one-two home game and got an ace king against ace king and chopped, but thought I was gonna lose and, and just like walk out. Um but I ended up maybe winning, being up about 400, 500. But by the end of the night, lost it all, felt terrible about myself. I was in the car telling myself, like, I'm, I'm literally never playing this game again. And, and <laughs> I don't, 
I think it's so stupid. Why, why would I take like hundred dollars? Because before that I would in high school get maybe like five cent, 10 cent games going. So like 10 bucks, um, $5 games once in a while, not many people wanted to play. And here I was like 10 Xing the stakes. Yeah. You, you're a true degenerate there. You, you actually were playing with 10% of your, of your life role, which is quite significant, I, I guess, for a high schooler. Yeah. Um, at this point I, I was in college, but, but still 10% of my role is not something I would do now. And, and I mean, even being af- afraid of playing for a dollar was my MO. So yeah. And, and clearly you didn't hold true to those words of never playing poker again. Right. So like how long did it take you to get back on the horse after, um, being up 400 and then dusting it all off? Uh, I want to say half a year. I pretty much went through the cycle over the next two or three years of wanting to kind of play professionally, having it as an idea. And then, oh, I don't think my mom would approve of that. So maybe I'll become an actuary or maybe I'll, I'll become whatever I thought. Um, and I did that maybe three or four times, rinse and repeat of playing doing okay, quitting for half a year, playing again, again and again. So you just kept getting pulled back into the game. What, what was it that kept pulling you back in? Um, I would say I really just enjoy the game so much. Um, I think it's so complicated, and it's, as far as I know, the most complicated game that I've ever played, or I think is in existence, and... So I really enjoy a lot of aspects about it, but then I just also really don't enjoy having a normal nine to five job. I had uh, two nine to five office jobs uh, for a total of four years, and I I was just miserable, very miserable actually uh, throughout that time. And and so it was kind of like the the love of the game and pulling me in, and then hatred of of like monotony pushing me towards poker yeah like uh duncan and i talked about it on philosophical friday a few weeks back uh how it's kind of like a life hack right you're kind of hacking your way to making a living but through playing a card game and not having to yeah be a part of (laughs) normal society um, the authority figure of jobs, especially, you know, when you're younger, which by the way, I guess is, will always be my experience as a human being in the workforce. Um, when I was 19 or 20, I have to imagine it gets a little bit better though over time, but I guess I'll never know. Yeah. The other thing is I didn't really have a trajectory for what I was going to do after college. Like I had ideas. I, I really enjoy math. Um, but wasn't quite good enough at it at the highest levels like calculus i just like got torched and that kind of really demotivated me from doing anything because math was the only thing i really enjoyed so yeah i had no idea of how am i going to make a living at something because the jobs i had you know were not much better than minimum wage even working at an office job and so you know poker was kind of just i i kind of just got lucky that I found it and, and ended up being good enough to do it for a living. What, what were you studying? What were you using to learn in the meantime from, you know, this, the kid that's afraid of losing a hundred or a dollar and then devastated that he loses a hundred dollars. Like what was your, um, what did the path of educating yourself and improving your game over time look like? Um, so I started off reading poker books. Uh, my first book was super system, which, I guess isn't the first poker book, but one of the first poker books. Um, and in high school, I would literally walk around reading my poker books. And in class, I would be reading my poker books instead of reading, you know, what I should be reading. And uh, so I did that for... Were you watching poker maybe, on TV? Because I, I guess 2009 was sort of like in, in the golden age of lots of content, all the celebrities... Yeah, I remember flipping through the channels and I and I saw High Stakes Poker um, and it was maybe season four. And I remember Sammy Farha and Elliot Lewis were my, were my favorite 
players. And uh, then I also remember the 2009 main event with Phil Ivey. That was really cool. And then the next year, 2010, was my absolute favorite year. And I think through all of this content, through poker TV, through poker books, you know, there's some old, old school stories in Super System, along with some other books. Uh, I, I really just became a gigantic fanboy of poker. Who was the winner of the 2010 main event? Jonathan Duhamel. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I see, I see. Okay, we won't. <laughs> I could, I could literally tell you since like maybe 2003, the main event winner. What was it about the 2010 main event that resonated with you so much? Um, there was just so many stories. There was, there was Filippo Canio going crazy, going runner-runner against Aces when he had like 10% on the flop. Um, there was Michael Mizraki who uh, had won the Poker Players Championship, which I love mixed games and, and that I have always loved mixed games. He won the Poker Players Championship. He was going deep in the main, so he had the chance to win the main. And with all of that, if he won the main, he would get player of the year. So it was just like stacking on top of each other how great this accomplishment would be. Uh, oh, there was the Matt Affleck hand where he just gets like the worst bad beat. Well, not the worst, bad, but like in terms of equity, like just gets absolutely destroyed. Yeah. And the, the face of pain. Yeah. And and then there's Joseph Chong who who played like an animal at the end of it like six or seven betting a seven off all in for like all the chips and there's just so many great storylines from that from that tournament and 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 it was in a time when i was just kind of getting to know the game and 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 really falling in love with it and it just furthered my love for it yeah i could see how those two circumstances kind of coincide and uh yeah made it made it apparent that like you, you wanted to have poker be a part of your life for quite a while. Um, and also maybe that's where your, your fanboy in the poker space kind of developed too, because I know, you know, more about poker players than I do, which is somewhat embarrassing for a, a podcast host who's <laughs> had like 300 people on the show. I know probably the last, like I said, 20 main event winners. And I, I, I would imagine, you know, zero. No, I know that Martin Jacobson won at least one main event and PS Martin Hines. Jacobson, yeah, yeah. That was like PS Hines won a main 20, event. Oh wow. Yeah. Two. That's really good. It that's that's quite impressive in, in my opinion. Um I, I think so, actually. Jake Jacobson's been on the podcast as well, so that helps. <laughs> that helps with me <laughs> remembering that one. PS PS Hines has the the dubious honor of being the last main event final table that I watched. Um, it was like live. I was at a home game watching it. I remember and like every hand took, I mean, it, it, that main event might still be going on somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. It was, it took so long for each hand. It was, do do you remember, do you remember, do you remember second place? I don't. Martin Stasco. Yeah. I don't know who Mart. I I don't remember Martin Stasco. I'm also not in the MTT world either, which, which, uh, is a strike against me, I guess, in the poker space. Uh, the people that like, the people I really have always been drawn to and loved and watched and looked up to have been like the cash game crushers. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, there's an overlap, right? Of like tournament crushers and cash yeah. game crushers. And, and all those guys I'm, I'm quite familiar with. That, that's actually like the people I fanboy over the most, the people that can crush everything live online tournaments cash games any format that's the people i most admire yeah and you mentioned your love of mixed games so tell me about your love of mixed games and you know how those are the types of people that you admire right the people that can play multiple games at a high level are you uh you going to be out there in the tournament world battling or the the high six mixed games I think eventually that's that's kind of my goal. Um, why I like them so much is, you know, reading Super System first, you, you get to know five or six different types of games. And I think every game just has its own unique qualities that make it special. Um, I actually really like Raz. Uh, funny story, I stayed up in high school until 2 or 3 a.m. on a school night. Uh, 
playing a Raz free roll where I got paid out maybe two or three dollars and my mom yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> but I I I think Raz is a great game, even though people say it's it's an old man's game that that should die. Um probably the only game I don't like is Limit Hold'em, and I haven't played too much of it. Um just every game is is great because let's say you're playing stud eight. Um and I, you know the stud, how stud works, where there's up cards. And you get put into, into situations where you don't know. And I think I really enjoy knowing things, but then I also really enjoy kind of the relaxation that comes from not knowing things. And when you, you know, you have like a 10 up and then there's a king and a queen behind and, you're, and you have a 10 under, so you have 10s, split 10s. You're like, oh, should I raise here? I don't know. Like, it's a great feeling not knowing what you're supposed to do. It's like kind of, I guess, kind of encapsulates like the joy of gambling. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, and and it's just fun that way. Yeah. What do you do when you encounter a situation like instead of eight that you don't know? Are, are we hitting the books trying to figure it out, trying to learn, or um? Well, there's on? not that many resources. Uh, so I kind of just take my general poker theory knowledge that's come from reading books. I mean, literally reading like the theory of poker or you know super system or just any any little thing I can think of, and and you know even basic math helps um yeah we didn't crush it in actuary school but we got the basic pot odds math we got that exactly that's that's actually my favorite form of of math is arithmetic so i i'm in it i picked the (laughs) the best line of work um so kind of same thing with no limit which is at some point you just try it out and then if it doesn't work out you try to see like did it work out not work out because of luck or was it like something i could have done better and then just rinse and repeat and and hope for the best and and that's pretty much how i play stud but you know stud is not a game i play that often i've i've played a actually a stud 8 and a big o 8 mix game and it's it's that's more so me just having fun figuring it out and you know if i win or lose it's it's not that big of a deal yeah, there's a lot of joy in figuring out problems. And ultimately, I've thought of myself, my, myself, wow, how many personalities do I have here? I've thought of myself as loving different things throughout the course of my life. And ultimately, I think the, the big thing that I do love is solving problems, um, answering questions, figuring out solutions, right, uh, to the best of my ability, I, to where my head hurts when considering some giant questions. But yeah, just making progress inch by inch is actually fun to me. Whereas I think for other human beings, that might sound quite miserable. <laughs> but for me, it works. For you, is it um, solving the problem, like the process of that, or is it the end result? It's the process, I think, the learning, the growth. I think the end result for me has been, I've always overrated the end result and underrated the journey. I think, um, where the end result is like, okay, we have this thing. And then now what is always the next question, right? Okay, well, now what do I do? Now what challenge do I take on? Whereas like the journey is like difficult and hard. And a lot of times I find myself thinking like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over with. But then when it's over, I'm just like, well, what do I do next? Right. So like (laughs) to me, the journey is the journey is better than the end result. Um, it's where, yeah, it's where the fun is. It's where the challenge is. And I think that ultimately I'm driven by challenges. I would say for me, it's it's the end result. I, I do get some joy from the process, but I've I just remember, you know, whether it be math or or like a poker problem, figuring things out takes a lot of brain power and it's it it sometimes cannot be very fun but then the end result of getting something right is just so satisfying like you know another tool i eventually started using was solvers and there's sometimes where i would get the frequency pretty close 
and and the feeling of getting a frequency close in in a solver is is kind of indescribable for me in a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do one man coach brad wilson has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> Nuffle. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash courses. Yeah, tell me, tell me about your your love for solvers because the the listener may not know, but you do very, very much love yourself messing around in solver land and kind of getting lost in the theory of the game. And knowing you in the way that I do, I, I suspect you you may enjoy. No, you do enjoy the solver aspect of it more than actually playing. I think that's good. probably true. Um. So I explained this to another villager a while ago, um, and I'm going to use what I said then, which is, so think about the feeling that you get from, from beating a fish. It's, you know, it's a pretty good feeling. Now think about the feeling you get from beating a reg. It's, it's, it's tougher. And so for me, it's, it's a more enjoyable feeling. Uh, it maybe means I've, in my mind, that I've studied more than them, and I know the spot better. And and that's my way of fucking them up. And now imagine if you were somehow able to beat a solver. And that's just yeah, but you can't look at you can't look the solver in the eyes and see its disappointment and sadness at getting owned though. That's the downside. Well, I would even get this as as a kid, like whatever math problem, like whatever like algebra problem, uh, two plus three <laughs> equals five, I would be like this feeling of like just intense joy just comes over me when I get something right. And so when I beat a fish, I feel great. You know, obviously you get the most money from the fish, but not really money's not something I care that much about. At least, you know, as long as I have my needs met, you know, like as long as I'm surviving it's so eating fish is, is, is fun because there's a little bit of like the wild west of of oh this guy's like check min raising me or or this guy's doing some wacky stuff so I have to start doing wacky stuff too you know you got to fight fire with fire um, and then playing against a reg that's beating a, a reg is is actually I think more enjoyable for me because it's it's really like this guy's putting his if it's a professional this guy's putting his whole life into it i'm putting my whole life into it who studied better who studied more effectively who's who who has the higher aptitude to implement everything who you know there's having the knowledge and then there's also like okay i have to make this bluff for like one or 2k like am i gonna do it yeah you you have to execute as well it's not uh the the quote is it's not good enough to know how to play well you you must also play well too right like you you need to be able to execute it when the pressure is on and i think that pro um studied unstudied the pressure tends to affect most human beings as it relates to like yeah running a 
eight buy-in bluff in live poker, right? It's difficult to pull the trigger in those moments. Yeah. And so that just brings me intense joy. And then, you know, there's, there's no poker player alive. That's better than, than a solver and getting somewhat close to the frequencies that you study as just, that's the great. Thing. That that's what does it for you. Yeah, um, it really does. Tell me about how you found or discovered Greatness Village. How'd that come about? Um, so that started uh from my relationship with Thomas. Um, and we would play at Gardens Casino. Uh this was two or three years ago. Uh we started playing five five together and just developed a relationship with him and eventually uh, he told me about his relationship with you, and I kind of already knew about the podcast um, from poker, poker Coaching and started listening to you and, and thought you were really intelligent. And so when he told me that you had a relationship, I was like, oh, OK, this is cool, but was quite shy to uh, get into Greatness Village uh, until Thomas just told me, like, like, what are you doing? Why, why aren't you in the Slack group? Yeah, yeah. Thomas basically turned Terminator on you and was like, yo, do it, man. Just go ahead and do it. And by the way, yeah, great, greatnessvillage.com if you want to hop in there. The, the water is still warm and the, the community is still growing. Yeah, Thomas is is a one of the kindest people I know, but he also has has his Terminator, Terminator Thomas side. side. Yeah. yeah. It's it's his own personality, right? Like it, it cracked the whip. It, cracks the whip it, it comes out specifically in the village you know i won't see anything that he posts for a while and then somebody will post like a bad beat and then thomas is in there like yo go somewhere else if you want to post a bad beat he's like the bad beat police in the group um <laughs> maybe he's got like some sort of keyword set up for like uh, negative stories or something he seems to always find those posts and goes full terminator on whoever does it which is very welcomed and appreciated in the community 100 i that's one of my favorite things about the village is is how we all really try to uplift each other and everything that people post for the most part 90 percent is positive and and even when it comes to hand histories and and people want to get critiqued they they don't get laughed at they get the advice that they're asking for yeah, if everybody could see all the hands of poker that I've played, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of hands that, that folks may laugh at if they, they were to see them, right? We're imperfect human beings navigating a world of poker with incomplete information, trying to do the best that we can. Um, and the reality is, too, as it relates to like the bad beat stuff, is we've all dealt with bad beats, right? That That's sort of the, the thing that I think folks who are early in their poker journey or maybe even later on tend to miss is like, Everybody in this community has experienced every form of bad beat that is possible to experience. Like I've logged on, instantly lost six to eight buy-ins and lost every flip in a session and didn't flop a set for a thousand hands or just whatever silly thing that you can complain about has happened to everybody who plays poker on a long enough timeline. And yet we're not all posting and complaining, right? So, and also it just kind of brings morale down. It was something, I had a Skype group a long time ago and it was something I realized quite quickly was you let that sort of negativity in, it just compounds and it becomes something that people are comfortable with posting regularly and just the morale goes straight through the floor. Yeah, something that helps me day to day uh, is, you know, when things aren't going so well is, is just thinking like, Oh, maybe, maybe I'm like on a downswing and I'll think like, you know, what would Thomas do? What would Gethin do? What would John do? What would she do? And, and I think they would do the right thing and just keep playing and, and have confidence in themselves and, and believe that, that things will turn around and over the long run you're winning. So just keep at it. Yeah. It, it reminds me there's a, in the Wolf Channel, John posted a play and explain video very recently, and it started out where you know he he's been like crushing it, doing quite well. Um, starts recording and just snap loses like four buy-ins at one KNL, right? Just like 
<laughs> Snap gets stuck. It's supposed to be an hour long. It ended up being a two hour long plane explain video where just everything went terribly the whole time. And then it transitioned into like a mindset video, right? It started out as one thing and then transitioned into like resiliency and mindset by the end. And it's good to see that like, it doesn't matter your skill level. It doesn't matter how great your decisions are in a single session. You can do everything right. You can prepare, you can meditate, you can eat right, you can sleep well, and you can show up and just get your teeth kicked in. And that's the nature of the beast, right? And so understanding how to recover from getting your teeth kicked in is ultimately um, just a mega high priority for anybody that wants to take their poker journey seriously. Definitely. Um, what was your experience after you, you know, Thomas went full Terminator on you and made you get into the village? What did, uh, what did things look like after that? Um, I would say I really fell in love with PPH, which is Poker Power Hour, which is our people don't know, uh, our weekly hour long uh, strategy discussion. And I just really enjoy kind of just hanging out with my friends once a week, talking hands, talking about our lives and, and just having fun really. Yeah, the community aspect and keeping touch and seeing faces on a, on a weekly basis is like one of the more underrated things of PPH, right? Like I've begun or not begun. It's been going this way for a long time now. In the beginning, it was like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this like weekly 8 p.m. thing. It, it felt like kind of a hassle um, for the first few months. I would forget about it and it would be like 758 and I would be like, Oh my God, I gotta like go do this PPH thing. And then over time, like it's just become such a community thing that was super helpful during the pandemic. I mean, when you, we weren't connecting with people in the real world, these like weekly zoom meetings to discuss poker strategy, I very much started looking forward to them. And now it's like an integrated part of my week that I, I look forward to Wednesday nights at 8 PM and uh, back in those days, they were the poker power hour was just open for everybody. And then things kind of got out of control. There was a lot of people and in the zoom meeting. And so we had to restrict it to the folks that have, uh, bought each individual course. So now it's like, a there's a bootcamp PPH and a fish in a barrel and feeding frenzy PPH and a nuffle PPH. Um, and then for the folks that have been a part of it for a long time, you know, they, they get the golden pass, um, to PPH, but another uh, thing is, another thing is I just absolutely love talking about cards. Yeah, I believe that you're really good at it, right? Like you, you can, it's something that you are world-class at doing is playing cards. And so getting a chance to, to talk about it, I, I would imagine is quite good. Yeah. Um, what do you think uh, out of the different training platforms and communities that are on the poker market? How, how do you think CPG differentiates itself? I would say you're not afraid to take weird lines that I think if I saw the lines that you've, you've advocate maybe five years ago, I would think this guy's an idiot. <laughs> um, but there's... You know, you, you, I think all of your training so far has, has been against fish other than pre-flop boot camp. Um, and so I think what I've really learned from you is that against fish, you have to do just the wackiest shit and don't be afraid to look stupid or, or be afraid to go against theory because if you put all this stuff in a solver, like, it's not going to say like, oh... I, I literally took a line maybe a couple of weeks ago that was was bet flop, bet turn, get min raised, call the turn, and then donk jam with I got there, but I was planning on bluffing my hand with 10 high. And I I I'm I'm not sure if you can guess, but I did not learn that from Pio. <laughs> no, that, that lesson is is not um in Pio's repertoire. I would say though that like the thing is, is poker is such a giant game that a lot of the wacky exploits that work quite well against weaker players 
I believe that if you were to lock them in Pio, that Pio's output would reflect the suggested strategies, right? As a um, as an exploit, it's just it's really hard figuring out exactly what's going on in yeah. human beings' minds when they do kind of uh, weird weird things. But yes, I, I am also a firm believer that if everybody in the world knows exactly what you're doing you probably don't have that big of an edge, right? So it's good that people don't know, right? That the people, you do things that are confusing, that are outside the box, that you think um, are going to extract lots of EV in these spots where EV is there to be had, right? Also, I think another thing is you constantly try to improve on what you already have out. Like you don't even have to work on whatever course that you've already put out there and already have gone paid for but you still try if you can to if you find some improvement you you put it out for for the people who have the product yeah it's i think it's reflective of how i've really thought about poker is like you find a good move you look for a better move right it, it never be satisfied with good if there's an excellent option and that in the beginning of my career led to a lot of unsatisfaction. <laughs> Let me tell you, because uh, you win 80 big blinds in a spot, you ask yourself, why didn't I win 100 big blinds, right? Like, and you lose 60 big blinds, um, you ask yourself, like, why couldn't I have lost 40 big blinds, right? Like, how, how do I save money? How do I maximize? I think that's, if you were to look me up, uh, I'm a maximizer, and that's just like how how I'm constructed, you know, for, for better or worse. I've learned to, I guess, manage that a little bit over time and be much more forgiving. But I do think that in this space, you need to constantly be searching for better answers, right? You do something very well, ask yourself, like, could I have done better? What was there something that I missed a data point I could have prioritized? Could I have made an extra five big blinds? Because over the course of your poker journey, those five big blinds add up. Um, yeah. What What does your process look like these days for regularly improving your game? Um, actually, it's more so just coming from playing and putting in reps that way. Uh, I've studied, you know, very extensively for the past I don't know five ten years, what in whatever form I I could, you know, starting from books and now solvers, uh, and. I think I have a good understanding of theory and, and, and most spots. I think the only spots I work on right now are hands that I'm uncertain of, mostly four bet pots or even, you know, button versus low jack single race pots. These spots that don't come up as often. And so they're more complicated uh, for me. Uh, but mostly, like I said, it, it comes from playing. And, and I think. I'm pretty have pretty low confidence, and so I think that my skill is is inaccurately higher than than what I believe it to be. And so I think the best thing for me is just to to play and and where do you think the just make money? Low confidence comes from. Like I said, I. I did not do well in calculus. Uh, and actually that that's kind of a theme in my life, which is uh, when I was in high school, I they put me in geometry honors because I did so well in algebra. Um, and I, I failed that. Uh, they wanted to hold me back actually, but I went to algebra too um, and did super well in that class. Got like 103% in, in, in a semester. Um, then I went to pre-calculus honors and got wrecked again. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I dropped that class. Um, and then took maybe pre-calculus just, in. Maybe just have a fear of triangles, you know? It's the shapes. That's the problem. Yeah, they're pretty scary. <laughs> I just, there's, no. Um, you know, you, you sit in a semicircle in poker. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. I may have just wrecked your poker career. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so I, I did pre-calculus in community college um, and did really well. Um, so then I went to calculus and then I just got wrecked again. I, I 
back in high school, I didn't know studying was a thing, but in college I did and studied as hard as I thought I could and, and didn't do well. And just a lot of things in my life, I feel haven't gone well. And, and those three examples are, are a few of them. And so from that, I, I gained low confidence. Do you think that your confidence in the space of poker is trending up, trending down? Where are we at today? I would say it's trending up just because I've had so much success. Uh, I, I mean, I've only been a professional for about a year and a half and, and I'm, I'm playing reasonably high stakes. Um, and it's hard to say that I'm bad at this when I look at a solver solution and I'm pretty close to it and it's it's hard to say I'm, I'm bad at this when i have made a living out of it for a year and a half and i've i've consistently won at a high win rate yeah how, how does it feel to have you know had a dream had a goal and be kind of living it for the past year and a half honestly it's I'm I'm really grateful that I found poker. I'm I'm really grateful that I have this community because I think I think if I if I was alone and and have felt quite alone for a lot of my life, um, I don't think I I would be where I'm at right now. Not just in terms of my success as a professional poker player, um, but even my happiness levels and just having all these great people in this community along with great players and them saying, Oh, you, you play pretty well. I, I think that has given me a lot of confidence and just, I think one thing that has kept me going aside from my friends in this community uh, has just been seeing how absolutely terrible fish play and, and thinking to myself, like, there's no way I'm losing. If if I'm if if like if I'm winning a dollar an hour, like I'm at least winning against these guys, and I'm I'm certainly winning much much more. Yeah, especially in the live arena, I'm sure there's there's only so many six way pots you can see before you're like, okay, these guys, they're they're making pretty significant mistakes. You know, you know when I'm when I'm tired and I'm not really feeling like going to work uh, on a certain day. You know what I do? I just go play live. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, you can also play much longer sessions live and your brain doesn't feel like it's mush when, yeah. when you're done, unlike the the online grind of two or three hours. And I feel like my whole brain and body has just been wrecked. Yeah, the way I think of live poker is is about the same pay, uh, one-eighth of the work. <laughs> exactly. Um Let's see, what would you say is the most unexpected thing that's come from this journey of yours through poker? Uh, I would say actually, and this is going to be a little negative, but I would say how much negativity I get from whatever random people come into my life about being a poker professional. Like, for example, I was playing maybe two weeks ago and I'm completely honest with people even playing when I, when they ask me like, what do I do for a living? I just say this, I, I play poker. And, and this person like kind of scoffed at me and, and told me like, Oh, you could do so much better. And this guy's literally in the casino every day. And he's telling me like, Oh, you should do something that I do that you shouldn't do something that I do every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think people's reaction is sort of reflective of, something that's going on in their world. And it's something that like, there just has to be that the resiliency of like, whatever, man, just like middle finger type attitude to people that don't believe or believe that you're not capable of doing whatever venture it is that you choose to take on or you, cho you choose to um, go through and like, for me, it's kind of funny what you said about the fact that you've done it for a year and a half and you've had good success because that resonates with me quite deeply. You know, when 
when I started playing in 2004, almost nobody knew that it was a thing, right? Like even today, like there are lots of people that don't know, but there are people that know as well. They've, they've at least heard of poker. It's, it's on their radar, right? They know that it is a thing. When I meet whatever person out and about, I will get the question or I will get the same amount of, Oh, you can do that for a living. Yeah. That's you can make money doing that. Um, I guess like in the beginning it was like F you. I don't care what you think. I'm gonna do it anyway. And then after like ten years it was like, Yeah, I've been doing it for ten years. That's always like the my follow up line of like, Yeah, I play poker professionally. They ask a question, I'm like, Yeah, I've done it for ten years, right? So it's like, oh, there's like a time period here where <laughs> it's kind of irrefutable that this is a, yeah. an actual career, right? Yeah. Um let's see. What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Common poker advice. Uh, I would say just when somebody brings you a hand and it's a line that you wouldn't take. And so you, you just kind of move on from it. I think that there's a lot that can be learned from any situation, much like mixed games, mixed games where you have no idea, like you would never be in the situation and you don't know what to do. Uh, just kind of using your brain to weave through what you think is best. I think the same can be done in a hand that you would never play that way, but you can understand like, okay, if a fish played against the fish, they're taking lines that you wouldn't take. And what range does this dish have? And then what range does this dish have? And then, and then what's, what's the best action with, with both sides? Yeah. It, guilty is charged your honor. I have done that, uh, multiple times where we get to a decision point that like we should not be at this decision point. Right. Um, and unfortunately for me, I I'm still very curious and I still listen to the whole hand and give feedback, even though <laughs> I, I feel like it's against my better judgment. I can't help but hear the ending. Sometimes it's like a, it's like a car wreck on the side of the road though. You just want to hear it. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta see what, what's going on, even though there, there's no upside. Um, it's only downside, but you still look. Also, I, I think this was <laughs> something that I, I said to John the other day. That like when, when the poker gods, you know, close the door, sometimes they open a window, right? Like you, you do something that's like ill-advised, um, but then a window gets open and you you can find an escape anyway um, at a spot where that you should, probably shouldn't be in. So, and maybe there's value in finding those escape hatches deeper in the tree after you do something that's uh, questionable, shall we say? That, that actually, um, if if I can tell a, a quick one-two story, um, that reminds me of a long time ago, maybe eight years ago. Uh, I was done playing, but I still wanted to watch the game, and it was three-handed. A young nineteen-year-old kid who, you know, three bet everything and, and, and thought he was touch it. And, and this sweet little old Cambodian lady, um, we're playing three handed and she opens the button, uh, gets three bet by the young kid. She calls and they're maybe 800 deep at a one, two game, no straddle, just one, two. Um, and it comes King high. And she's in position, and there's maybe, I'll say, $100 in the pot. And she jams, and she's in position, so she acted out of turn. And and kind of, you know, the kid's like, oh, I haven't acted yet, and, and kind of like, oh, what's going on? And and so the floor comes over, and, and, uh, and he's like, oh, well, just make your action, and then she'll do what she's going to do. So he checks. She jams for 800 into about a hundred on a king high board um and he's he's pained and i i'm i'm sweating him so i can see his hand he has aces um and and he's like what like what are you doing like like i i have aces like why <laughs> like i I don't think I can fold. And, and he goes, you know, you know how people agonize over their, their decisions, especially it is, it's, it was about an eight X pot. Right, right. It's a decision um, that should, should be agonized over. Exactly. And it was, it was like King for two rainbow. Um, 
And finally, she flips over a king and she says, I have you. And at this point, I know exactly what's going on. She does not have him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he agonizes and he finally folds aces and then she shows ace king. <laughs> and why I remember that story is because I just remember like her back was up against the wall. This guy had her, but then she like live pro to her way out of it. <laughs> yeah. With a hand with uh, not much equity. Like 5%. Yeah, like 5%? Equity. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, it's a good story, man. It's a good story. And uh, we're, we're reaching our, the end of our conversation here. Conversation number one, the CBG listener can mark it because um, you'll be hopping on some Philosophical Friday in the near future because you enjoy that sort of, uh, you enjoy overthinking um, to the point where it's painful, I think. If, <laughs> if uh, it's it's more so the opposite. I overthink and it's painful, and then eventually I enjoy it. <laughs> but it must happen. It's a thing that is necessary in the exactly. existence of Humberto is overthinking to the point of it being painful. Um, do you have anything left to say here before we we shut down? I know that as of yet place to hang out with Humberto is in Greatness Village and specifically at PPH on Wednesday nights. I'm going to say that if you have a dream and people are telling you not to do it, just say fuck it and do it because life's short and I think, you know, you didn't ask the billboard question, but I'm, I'm going to give my billboard answer, which is uh, a Mr. Miyagi quote and it's he says, he looks at Daniel, and Daniel's scared of his opponent, and, he said, and, and Mr. Magi says, you gotta stay focused, and he says, it's okay to lose your, to your opponent, but it's not okay to lose to fear. And I think that's how, I, how everybody should live their life, and just fucking go for it. Just fucking go for it. Nike's got it right. With that said, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll close down shop, man. Great conversation, great having you, and look forward to being a spectator and mentor as you continue on your, your poker journey. Peace out, Humberto. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.